Coming live from Pocatello, Idaho, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you ben- you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Christian Espinosa, founder and founder of Alpine Security, a white hacker, a white hat hacker, certified high performance coach, professor, and lover of heavy metal music and spicy food. Welcome to the show, Christian. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank happy you, to be Christian. here. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time out. And we'll be talking about the future of cybersecurity, especially uh, the coming year, just a few days from now. So as we are about to enter, you know, uh, 2023, just two days back or one day back yesterday, we had this news of Telstra breach. 1,32,000, that's 100,000 and then 32,000 more. That much of accounts, uh, they were breached for whatever reasons it was, but that raises the question of security and data privacy and data security for individuals. So as we move into 2023, in the backdrop of this latest breach, what do you think of uh, in terms of data security or cybersecurity where we stand today? I think we don't stand very well. Uh, the cyber criminals, as you just uh, mentioned with the Australia Telstar breach, uh, are consistently breaking into environments and stealing data. Uh, whereas the good guys that are trying to protect the networks are, are doing the best they can do, but it's, it's not good enough right now. And I think there's too much reliance on technology and frameworks and not enough emphasis on the people that are actually working day-to-day to protect the networks. And that's what I write about in my book a little bit about, you know, I focus on the people skills and the collaboration, the communication, which I think will greatly enhance cybersecurity. Right. Right, Christian. Now, you know, we cannot just be satisfied that we are not standing uh, very strong in terms of data security or cybersecurity. We got to find a way uh, for us. Uh, all the white white hack, hack hat hackers, they need to find some sort of solutions and plus many others, some sort of solutions that our data does not land up in the dark net. So how do we move forward? What is, you are an expert on this. You founded Alpine Security, you sold it off. What would you say is, are the, you know, good points for us for, uh, that we can move forward with and make ourselves more secure. It's not that companies are not aware of this, but then just saying sorry after something has happened mm-hmm. is not good enough. So what is the way out of this? Because at the end of the day, it is individual data that is in in, in danger. Right. Well, the cyber criminals typically typically get in in one of two ways. Uh, one of them is via social engineering, like a phishing attack. 
The other way is exploiting a vulnerability uh, that's either externally facing or through that phishing email. And the, the, so the two things that make sense to minimize the, the risk of an attack is to train your people on phishing attacks, to have some sort of software that if they click on a link, uh, blocks access to the link if, the, if it knows the link is malicious or it has indicators that it's malicious. And then the other thing is to patch vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, patching is a big deal and a lot of companies don't have a really good vulnerability management system, but a vulnerability is what allows an attacker in. And even if an, and if an employee clicks on a phishing email, if your browser, for instance, is patched, then it's less likely that that phishing email is going to be successful. So I think training people, patching your systems and patching the applications on the systems and then validating those things are done are what's important. And that's what my company did, Alpine Security, as we came in and did exercises uh, with social engineering. We would send employees phishing emails to validate the effectiveness of the training, see how many people clicked on the link, see how many people divulged their username and password. And we would do penetration testing, try to break in to the client environment and find out where the holes are or the missing uh, patches were or the misconfiguration was. So it's a matter of properly configuring the systems, patching them, training users, and then also having that validation. A lot of people skip that validation step, uh, but without the validation step, you don't really know if you're doing your job properly with the patching and the training. Right. Let me ask you uh, this way, Christian. Why do these data breaches happen? How do they happen? Is it is it because somebody clicked on an email that they should not have? Or is it that uh, the cyber criminals or people who are outside your company's system, they are smarter? Or do we want to tell them that your company is not able to hire the smartest people to protect the data of people who they uh, who have interested their you know most prized possession with you what is the reason that so many breaches keep on happening and the ceos come out and say we are sorry right there's a couple reasons uh the primary reason is uh, as I alluded to, is misconfiguration, unpatched systems, and, and people clicking on phishing emails. And the cyber criminals, unless it's a directed attack, they basically try the same tactics against various companies. And if one company has a vulnerability, then that company is going to be exploited. And, and they, the odds are stacked against the people defending the network, though. For the cyber criminal, uh, if you have one door that the company you're attacking left open, they can go through that door. Whereas for the person trying to defend the network, you've got like a thousand doors to close. And if you miss one of them or you miss patching one system, then the cyber criminal can get in. So the odds are greatly in favor of the cyber criminals because there's so much to do. And typically with companies, they look at cybersecurity as an expense and it is an expense. Uh, but they often don't look at it proactively. There's typically no budget for cybersecurity uh, until there's a data breach. And all of a sudden, when there's a data breach, there's a big budget for cybersecurity. So it's it's kind of looked at backwards. And data breaches are very costly. So 
a little bit of money up front uh, to enhance the cybersecurity posture uh, would reduce the risk of that data breach and ultimately cost the company less. Okay. Okay. But there is something that the company, you talk about uh, that this is a cyber uh, cyber crime or uh, cyber security can be maintained uh, through effective communication. Is that is that the best possible scenario for us moving into 2023 or is there something else we can because you see when the data breach does not happen then there is no budget for it when it happens the budget comes in is it that they are not serious about people's data or is it about that they are not serious about the fact that their their systems can be uh, you know uh, taken care of by the uh, by the hackers uh, and, you know, negatively. So how does it work in today's time? What does an individual do, an individual like me, uh, who, who visits the internet, goes to so many sites, also does banking, your mobile phone is, you know, attached to so many places that you don't know how to do it, but then the experts should know how to do it. So how do I still protect my data or another question along with that is that if companies are interested with your data and they are not able to handle it then why don't they just delete it after that use is done they still want to hold on on to it for as long as possible under whatever provisions of law they may say law allows for some data to be kept by you but they want to you know keep a uh, keep it for a long, long time. So several questions at the same time, but so that you can answer at your own pace. All right. Yeah, there were several questions there. I'll, un- I'll unpack that a little bit. Uh, the yeah. first one uh, was about communication. I-, I think one of the biggest challenges is if I'm the the CEO or the board of directors for a company and I have a cybersecurity person talking to me, they're typically not talking in a way that I understand. Uh, they're not talking in a way that in terms of business risk, it's typically technical jargon, which doesn't resonate with a leader of a company or a board of directors. So one of the things I advocate for in my book is to shift how you communicate in cybersecurity. So the message is received. The ownership is on you to make sure that what you're communicating is received and the message is clear. Because we often talk about in cybersecurity how we never get a budget. And from my experience, we don't get a budget because the people asking for things aren't asking in a way that resonates with the board of directors or the leadership of the company. They're just speaking technical geek speak versus putting the risk in terms of the business, uh, which is what needs to be done. Uh, The other part of how uh, we could protect ourselves one of the, the the easiest things to do is to enable multi-factor authentication on everything you possibly can. So if an attacker is able to glean your password uh, from a data breach, typically uh, attackers can get your password from a data breach because the information is leaked on the dark web. If they can get your password and your username, it doesn't matter as much because they won't have your phone, uh, which has your authenticator application 
or you know an SMS message to authenticate. So they only have one thing to get into your environment. So that will greatly reduce your risk. And I, I certainly recommend doing this on email because if someone gets your email password, they can simply go in and reset all of your accounts because typically a reset link is sent to your email. So it's very critical to have that multi-factor authentication enabled on your email and on everything, really, everything you can. It's a little more of a hassle, but it reduces the risk. And uh, the the last thing you asked about uh, was if companies, why don't, why don't they just delete your data uh, when, when, when they're done using it? A lot of companies use your data for marketing. Uh, so there's some intention behind that. And then some companies, I would say a lot of them, uh, don't really have a good procedure to remove data. That's why there's rules like in the, in the EU, such as GDPR, that you, the company has to prove that they deleted your data if you've asked them to delete it. Um, but most companies, they don't have a good process for, for this hand, handling consumer data or client data, which is why it's often leaked and stolen. Right, right. Now, let's long talk about you are a white hat hacker. Uh, for the general people, if you can explain what exactly is a white hat hacker. A white hat hacker is a ethical hacker, basically, that a company hires to break into their environment and not do anything malicious, but tell the company how they got in so the company can fix the holes in their environment. It's different than a black hat hacker. A black hat hacker is considered the bad guys, the, the cyber criminals. And supposedly the colors of hats uh, represent uh, what used to be in the in the Western days where the bad guys always wear a black hat and the good guys always wear a white hat. Right. So let me ask this white hat hacker is that when companies hire you, you look at the present uh, level of threat, the new things that uh, cyber criminals are using to breach into the systems. So what are the trends? What are the new things that have that are coming up? People do not, general people are not aware of it, but they should know about these things. People have heard about ransomware. Now that is something totally different than general cyber security or your data privacy that is your data with somebody else mm -hmm. ransomware is about you somebody holding you you for ransom because your laptop or your data is you know fully in control of the hacker there the malicious one the black hat hacker so mm -hmm. what do you think people should know about the new things that are happening but are yet to know about them I think a lot of the same tactics are used. Some of the newer things are the, the tactics are a little more sophisticated. So if you get a phishing email today or an SMS message that is trying to get you to click and go on a link and infect your phone, uh, those are looking a lot more realistic. And they're automated in a way where if you read a specific message or click on a link, then it may not infect your computer, but they'll send you another message. It can kind of like play out a sequence of, of automated emails to, to sort of like slowly uh, take advantage of you versus one phishing email with a bunch of misspellings. So I think 
that's something to consider. Phishing emails are still very common. I get them all the time, even though I have, uh, you know, a junk email set up and all that. I get the ones saying I've got a fax coming in. I get the ones saying uh, a LinkedIn contact. But if I look at the links, they're taking me to a bogus website. And I've noticed on my cell phone, uh, on WhatsApp, I get a lot of bogus messages today. Ask me to click on a link or join a group. And I get a lot of text messages via SMS uh, that ask me to click on a link. So there's, there's, we're kind of getting it from all angles today. Even on Facebook, you know, people uh, would say there's an embarrassing video of you and try to get you to click on something and infect your computer that way. So it's coming at us from all directions. We just have to be aware that this, you know, the attackers are trying to inundate us and get us to do something. And they're trying to create some sort of curiosity in us to get us to click on something, some sort of urgency to get us to do it very quickly, uh, or some sort of fear because if we don't do it, we might get in trouble by some government agency. So there's a lot of things like that that go on, but it, we have to like not let our curiosity overtake us and click on the link. And sometimes it's hard to resist because you're like, oh, there's an embarrassing video out there of me. Like, what is this video? And you almost want to click on it, but that's how they infect your computer. Especially right. if it's not patched uh, and there's a vulnerability. Right, right. Nowadays, there is so much of talk of, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, do you think uh, they are, apart from being just, you know, helpful in doing in, uh, in whatever task one wants to do, do you think they also carry some danger, something that people should be aware of and, and and can lead them to trouble anywhere if they are not taking care of uh, their secure uh, their security or is it like any other any other you can say tool that you are using online how do you see it as a white hat hacker i think artificial intelligence and machine learning has helped us with defending our networks. We get better at detecting patterns of an attack uh, using artificial intelligence and looking for anomalies and, and automatically blocking the attack or what we think is the attack. But we have to realize on the flip side, if we're using these artif- this artificial intelligence to stop the cyber attacks, the cyber criminals are using art- artificial intelligence to try to outwit our, our, our artificial intelligence or our AI. So it's, it's a tool that's used for on both sides, you know, the good guys and the bad guys. And uh, often the bad guys are able to use artificial intelligence to get into our environment that also has artificial intelligence. So it's sort of like AI versus AI and who can uh, provide the right variables to the AI to make it succeed. Okay. Okay. And what what about Web3? People uh, have that expectation uh, when they were they talk about Web3 that it's going to make your internet more secure, one's data more secure. Is it because of that companies are just sitting quietly and waiting for Web3 to fully, you know, uh, get get implemented and then their, their, their data get, will get secured by itself? What is Web3? Is it is it true that Web3 will be, bring more security? Is it the answer to our uh, problems of data, uh, data security? 
I think Web 3.0 is a a good a start head in the right direction for security. I, the fundamental problem is the internet was built to share data in an unsecure manner. So we're kind of putting all these band-aids on top of an unsecure infrastructure to make it secure. And that's that's where things kind of unravel. Like today we've got you know the browsers and we have HTTPS and all these things to try to encrypt data, but there's ways around that as well. And I think with Web 3.0, uh, we're still going to have some of the same issues. And it's also going to be a matter of, you know, just because a new technology comes out, how how long is it going to take people to migrate to that technology, even though it's more secure? Because I still find sites today that aren't using HTTPS, they're just using HTTP. And I still find sites today that are um, sending passwords in clear text over HTTP. So there's, you know, there's, it will certainly help, but we have to migrate to that area and also realize to, to Web 3.0 and also realize it's not going to solve all of our problems. Right, right. Now let's move uh, move towards a bit of different sort of data breach. Uh, we wouldn't call it a data breach, but you see our phones are listening devices. Somebody is listening. You talk about, you know, about anything. You talk about pizza and in your junk mail, you'll find five pizza offers. So there is there are people who are listening, uh, listening to what your phone is listening uh, for you. And then there are other, you know, helps you can say like Alexa and, and other things mm-hmm. like that. They also listen. Mm-hmm. Companies keep do that in terms of, you know, give you better service to understand and learn better about you so that they can give you a better result. Now, Therein also lies that big issue of data security. Uh, That data, as of now, companies say that they keep it, they learn about it through big data. They try to learn better about it, data churning, and they they will uh, give you better services. But that is where, you know, some breach can happen and that can lead to a disaster for many people in terms of data breaches. Now, how do you tackle this part of it? On the person may not ever go to the internet. They will say, okay, I don't want to use the internet. But what about your phone? Every phone is smartphone. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the equipments that are inside, the listening devices that they are, they are smarter than we know about it. Is it that the companies who are, you know, using this machine learning stuff there is something that they know about, but we don't know about uh, about uh, exactly about ourselves and our, our data. How do I protect myself in terms of, you know, being with my phone, being with the devices like Alexa and the like, and still able to use them and still be protected going into the new year? How does one do that? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh there's not an easy way to protect yourself. Uh, if you have Alexa, uh, the way to protect yourself is to, to not have an Alexa because it's always listening. It's designed to listen and all that data is sent to the cloud somewhere. So you're right. If someone hacks into the cloud where your data is stored, they have your entire conversation, which may be a personal conversation. Same thing with your phone. 
uh, because you may notice if you talk about something with somebody uh, and then on Facebook, uh, all of a sudden you start getting ads for what you just talked about. Uh, if And if you notice when you install applications on your phone, a lot of them ask for access to your camera and to your microphone and the application doesn't have anything to do with your camera or microphone. But you, when you say yes, you're giving that application permission to basically listen to you all the time. A way to avoid that with your cell phone is to put it in airplane mode if you're uh, you know, having a conversation or to, to take it to another room. Another thing a lot of people don't realize, if you have an Android phone or even an iOS phone, your, your activities are basically tracked all the time. If you go back to look at your timeline on Google, it will show you where you were every minute of the day. So it's not just what you say. Uh, it's also they know where you are. So it's they can detect a pattern of your behavior. And if every day you go to a specific store and they know that certain items are at the store, then they can advertise that to you as well. So it's, it's more than just, uh, you know, listening in on you. And it's a scary thing because, uh, you know, a lot of TVs today are smart TVs and hackers can hack into a smart TV and turn the mic on the TV and turn on the camera. So while you're in your living room, they can spy on you. And, you know, there's a lot of dangers with these these smart devices. And we have to just be aware that, you know, there's things somebody could be doing to our device that we may not even know. Right. So we come to the question then, uh, Christian, is that who is the smartest person in the room? Is it is it a human or is it a machine? <laughs> uh, a good question. Uh, machines uh, don't tend to make as many mistakes as humans, so you might I might say it's a machine, but machines typically don't have the emotional intelligence, so they can't really alter their behavior as well as a human. But some humans lack emotional intelligence as well. So I, yeah, I, I think um, you know that this the the constant discussion is a what what, what can outdo one or the other. I think for technical repetitive task, uh, a machine is much better for for day to day interactions with people. Uh, I think humans are the right human is better. Then that also brings us to your book. I mean, you talk about how to leverage your company's smartest minds to your benefit and theirs. But companies are not doing it. That is where the question of budget. Tell us about your book, where you find this, where we can find the solutions, where companies can find solutions for their problems. My book is about my own journey with my cybersecurity company, Alpine Security. Almost all the problems I had, like 99% of them, were because my staff lacked people skills, not because my staff lacked technical skills. So I sort of looked back on the industry and realized that this is a problem in cybersecurity and in other high-tech industries. We have these super rationally smart people, high IQ individuals that want to be smarter than other people because that's what makes them feel significant. But when you're always trying to be smarter than somebody, you're going to talk over someone's head. You're going to make fun of someone for not knowing what you know. And it doesn't make well for collaboration or communication. So in my book, I attempt to solve that problem by using a seven-step methodology that aims at infusing some more emotional intelligence into somebody that already has high rational intelligence. Because I think a lot of technical people 
don't realize they're the glass ceiling because they're lacking the people skills. They wonder why their coworker gets promoted that doesn't know as much as they do technically, but that coworker has better communication skills or better collaboration skills or better people skills. And in my book, The Smartest Person in the Room, you can find it on Amazon. It's also on Audible. I have an Audible version as well if you like to listen to books like I do. Right, right. So, and and so if there is a smart person in terms of a CEO and they want to hire another smartest, a smart person like you, how do they connect with you? My website is probably the best way to connect with me. It's christianespinoza.com. I'm also on almost all social media. So th- those are the some of the easiest ways to connect with me. Right, right. So now talking about, again, the smartest person in the room. If I have read it correctly, Elon Musk, I don't know, he invented it or somebody, he quoted someone else, but he said once, and if I, if I remember that correctly, is that if you are the smartest person in the room, then perhaps you are in the wrong room. Where do, where do we, how do we see this statement in terms of learning, in terms of moving forward? Because you have a book by that name. You also talk about making others the smartest person in their room, in whatever room they are in. How do we move forward? Should we be the smartest person uh, in the rooms that we visit? Or should we look at other rooms where we can learn and protect ourselves and others who are dependent on us better? Well, I guess the, the first part is how do we know, you know, we're smarter than somebody else? Uh, like, what is the measurement for that? Uh, you know, an, an IQ test is just one sort of form of uh, how smart somebody is, but that's specific to, you know, taking a test, basically. I think everyone has something unique they bring to the table. And I, we need to be aware that, you know, I might be know more about this specific topic than somebody else, but somebody else may have more knowledge about a different topic, which can provide some insight to solve a problem. And I don't think you want to be, you know, the quote, smartest person in the room, uh, because I, I believe you're the average of the five people you hang around with. So if you're hanging around with people that you feel are not as smart as you, then you're not going to be learning and growing. So if somebody is, you know, achieved more than you have, and you want to achieve the same thing they do, you should hang around those people. Uh, it'll force you to grow and force you to achieve more and force you to have more success. Okay. Then let me ask you this way, related to the topic is that is the hacker, the white hat hacker, more smart or smartest in terms of doing what he or she is doing? Or is it uh, is it that the company who is not spending money and saving money and thinking that they are doing, uh, you know, serving their bottom lines, they are smarter and, and, you know, making a fool of people like us. How do you see it? This is my last question. Um, you're asking if the company that's not doing anything uh, versus right. the white hat right. hacker? Is it, is, yeah, because... They have smart people in their companies. They are not using them. But a smart, but a hacker who is not perhaps the smartest one, but still becomes the smartest by hacking into your system. Not been that clear. 
Yeah, I, I think with anything, we need to measure if it's effective. So if I've got, I feel like I have a great team in my company and they're protecting my network, why not validate and measure to see if they're actually doing it? And the way to do that is to hire you know, an ethical hacker that uses the same tactics as a cyber criminal to see if they can break into your network. That, that's a way to test that uh, your team is actually doing what they think they're doing. Otherwise, you're just sort of blindly hoping that you've done it right. You're not actually validating it. You're not doing a stress test, as, as some people like to say. And I think that's that's a part that's often missed. I, I know like Ronald, Ronald Reagan, uh, one of the U.S. presidents, has a quote that says, trust but verify. So we want to trust that our staff are doing the best they can to protect our network, but we also want to verify it. And the way to verify it is to hire a team of white hat hackers or ethical hackers to see if they can break in. And then if they can't get in, then yeah, your team has done perfect. If they can get in, maybe your team needs to learn a little bit more. But this is much better than a cyber criminal breaking in and stealing all the data. It's much better to have a good guy, you know, test your environment than an ally, than a than the bad guys or the criminals. Absolutely. It's always better to have the good guy test your system <laughs> before the bad guy breaks in. Exactly. So thank you so much, Christian, for joining us in the show and sharing with us such great information and insights. Thank you. Yeah, once thank again. you for having me on.